Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm Savannah. And I'm Robin. Together, we research and break down complex and even controversial topics facing our society. We always aim to bring you honest analysis backed by research to skew our bias towards what could be factually supported and to make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. We're human, we have blind spots and biases, and they will show through. However, our goal isn't to convince you to see things our way. We want to build a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so we can address them together. We talk about some pretty heavy stuff on this show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing. But we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way that people have hard conversations. And I think that we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding. And since you're here, we hope that you want the same thing. So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. everybody and welcome back to the latest episode of Fireside Unscripted. You may have noticed something a little bit different in the intro to this episode. John is not here. It is just Savannah and I tonight. Um, and we wanted to take a little bit of time to, you know, riff about one of those polarizing topics or a few of those polarizing topics. Uh, tonight's episode is, or this week's episode, is titled Everyone with a Uterus, Raise Your Hand. Um, because Savannah and I wanted to take the opportunity to talk through what it feels like to be a woman dealing with the complicated topic of, quote, women's issues in today's political climate. Um, we feel uniquely qualified to speak to this. Because we both have <laughs> <But> uteruses. <laughs> we have uteruses. Um, but also one of the things that we wanted to talk about tonight is does having a uterus make you a woman? Like, uh, that's that's one of the big questions that we wanted to stumble our way through in this unscripted episode as we take a look at how it feels to be um, dealing with the question of womanhood and who's deciding these big political and legal issues for us as women. Is it other women? Is it men? Um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then we wanted to take a few minutes to talk about a couple of big issues like abortion and trans inclusivity in uh, in daily life so that we can illustrate what it feels like to try to figure our, our way through these things. Yeah, so I'm excited and I hope to not be banned by anything that I say. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's... I know. Our aim is to also be very sensitive to, um, yeah, yeah, to trans rights and their um, their strife. But as uh, Robin discussed before we started recording, um, this isn't about whether trans people should be allowed in certain areas. That is not what this um, this podcast is supposed to be about. So, no, I think it's important to say from the jump, um, Savannah and I are both absolutely perfectly fine with um, expanding all of the rights to all of the LGBTQ people. I, I feel comfortable in saying that neither one of us feels like anybody should be excluded based on um, who they love or what their pronouns are or what they want to wear or how they want their body to look. Um, that's, that is their business and their business alone. And it is not up to us to judge or decide their value or um, 
opportunity to be included in society. That's right. So that's, that is not any, and all of the conversation tonight, please, um, if we do say something uh, that doesn't come out as clear as we'd like it to, this is an unscripted episode, but know that we're coming at it from that perspective. Um, We're just trying to figure out the best way forward, the way that we can do that based on mutual respect and love and appreciation for all the people and taking care of all the people. Yeah. I know that my um, experience in this realm of um, not, I don't want to say interacting with trans women, um, which I think there should be a disclaimer about uh, trans women, meaning a uh, biological male um, who identifies as a female versus a trans man who is a biological female who identifies as a male. So I feel like that should be a disclaimer from the start. So there's no confusion. Um, Yes. My experience in this realm is I have known many trans women, um, actually no trans men Uh, in the military, specifically a lot of born biologically male individuals transitioned after they got out of the military. And I happen to know uh, close to five of them. So that is where I've experienced the most. So, yeah, I, and I have to say, um, probably because I spent my teenager dumb and my young adulthood in Southwest Missouri, I have only ever had the pleasure of uh, meeting one person that I know to be a trans woman. Um, and we were very, very lucky to have her join us as a guest on the podcast. Um, but I don't have the opportunity to hear from people with that perspective in my daily life very often. And I think that's one of the reasons that it's so hard for me to navigate through these issues is because I don't feel like I have access to anybody who can help me understand their perspective, um, so that I can use that to inform the way that, that I speak to other people and the way that I advocate for things. Yeah. It's difficult. The, the first, um, woman that I met was, I had so many questions, like in an insane amount of questions. I think it was probably like eight years ago, ooh, closer to 10 years ago when I found out and I was just a very curious person and I had a lot of questions and I probably overstepped in a lot of my questions and, uh, I didn't know that until much later, but yeah, that it, I realized I bungled the the whole entire ordeal because I was very <laughs> curious. But um, yeah, that was whoops. Uh, I apologize. Uh, very sorry about that. But um, <clears throat> yeah, that's a. Uh, it is very interesting, at least in the military community, how many um, people are trans women. It's um, a significant amount, actually. I yeah. I directly know five, but then um, outside of that, there's way more who I have heard interviews from and who I know as acquaintances through other people. So um, it's very interesting. That is very interesting. That must be a very unique dynamic to experience coming out of something as regimented and um, heavily masculinized as the military and then making that decision for yourself or 
feeling like you finally have the opportunity to uh, live into that decision, just depend- depending on the perspective that you take there. Um, I Yeah, I would love to hear some of those stories. It's I, it, I've, I've wondered if it's such a hyper-masculinized, is that a word? I don't think that's a word. Mas- mm. It is tonight. <laughs> such a hyper-masculinized um, community that, you know, possibly allows them to realize, oh, this is not how I fit in at all. And maybe mm-hmm. just amplifies um, their true selves. So maybe I, I haven't been able to ask and I would be very cautious in my asking. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, I think uh, Robin wanted to hit on um, some of the discussions about um, sports um, and trans women in sports. Um. Yeah, I think um, one of the one of the things that I was thinking about as we were preparing for this episode is as we're navigating this legal climate and um, this kind of paralegal climate where you've got all these like governing organizations that make rules and regulations for that are not laws but govern sports and uh, professional organizations and universities and things like that as we're looking at that and and how you know how we want to weigh in as um people who were cisgender women who were born biologically unquestionably female and identify that way how we look at the question of trans inclusivity in things like professional sports, not from the perspective of should trans women be allowed to compete in sports, but how do we approach thinking about that topic or topics like that, both as women who have a set of biological characteristics that um, do not give us a particular advantage when we're competing against males who have a particular set of biological characteristics. And the dividing line between uh, kind of that competitive nature, right? Wanting a fair playing field for people who whose bodies are like ours, but also wanting to make sure that trans women feel included as women and in this kind of society of womanhood, it feels very precarious to try to navigate that and to wrestle with my own cognitive dissonance when it comes to a topic like that. Do you want to flesh out your cognitive dissonance about it? <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I have, like, I have kids in sports. Um, and I look at something like the decision that came down to essentially bar trans women who tra- uh, transitioned after the age of 12 or a particular stage of puberty from competing in women's swimming that's governed by that organization. And I look at that and I think, that feels fair to the people who are already competing, whose, bi- whose biology functions in a certain way. Um, because to introduce another person whose biology functions very differently, that has uh, different physiological advantages that these other competitors don't have, 
it it like that feels unkind and unfair to the uh to the women who are already competing but at the same time it feels unkind and unfair to exclude trans women simply because of their physiology and because of something that they could not control at the point that they would have had to have control of it um and I like I'm I'm seeing talk of them potentially creating an open category where anybody who wants to compete in that category can compete regardless of their physiology. And I feel like that feels like a pretty good idea to me. Um, it makes me question when and why did we start to gender segregate or sex segregate sports? And like, how did we even get there in the in the first place? And is that the is desegregating sports the right way forward? And and I just, I don't know the solution and I'm not trying to find the solution, but I want to get to a place where um, where either I'm okay holding, it, holding conflicting ideas or wrestling with conflicting ideas, or I feel like I find a solution that respects and cares for everybody involved. Yeah, and I think it's important to note also that it we're focusing on the trans women in sports because trans men in sports do not have the same um, physiological advantages um, in the inverse, if that makes sense. If a, if a trans man went into men's sports, um, it doesn't seem like people are quote unquote worried about them taking over um and yeah. i say that in like a kind of facetious way of how headlines have been <laughs> ran but <laughs> right. um but yeah so that's why focusing on the biological male anatomy having advantages over the female anatomy um is why this is um impacting uh cis women um so much yeah um interesting note uh in kind of a different perspective Um, is that the military has been separating sex um, requirements for their physical fitness um, since women have been in the military. And that has been a point of contention the entire time. Um, Women have to do different things and sometimes less. Sometimes they, I mean, they have to run the same distance, but they have more time to do it. they didn't have to do pull-ups in the Marine Corps for a long time. That changed, uh, I think, about eight years ago. So, but that is not in sports that pay more money based off of where, like, where you rank. So, or, like, scholarships right. or whatever. So that is, but that has always been a point of contention. Um, and uh, one of the things that the military has found with women being expected to do the same physical stuff as men is that their hips broke all the time. They, um, their hip injuries were through the roof because of the weight that they were expected to carry. Uh, the women's bodies just weren't, um, could not withstand the same that the men could. So without going too deep into the physical differences, there is, I mean, women, <laughs> anthropologists and archaeologists, when they come up with um, bones, they can tell which is a male and which is a female based off of, you know, the the width and how the hip sockets uh, lay. Like women and men's bodies are different. Um, but so the advantages are not are not in, in anyone's heads. They are very biologically real. 
Yeah. So. And, and yeah, we're, again, we're a data-driven podcast. And um, I actually, I actually went digging for information I, probably a year or two ago with the full intention of being able to just make a data-backed case that somebody needed to get off their high horse about keeping trans women out of um, women's sports. And I I had to acknowledge that the data bears out that there are significant differences in the sports performance of, of um, I want, I'm going to say base package, male and female bodies, because I also want to acknowledge that the data does show us that there are a vast varieties of complicated ways that sex can express itself inside of a body that um, even that looks like a standard male or a standard female body, right? There's chromosomal stuff and there's hormonal stuff and there's um, genital and gonad stuff and there's genes that turn on and turn off and, and it gets very complicated very quickly. So when we say men's sports, women's sports, men have different advantages. We're talking about like base package men that if you ran all the tests, they would just have all of the check all of the boxes that you would think they should check for being a biological male. Yeah. Well, I can I can understand as being a woman if I was put into a class with people who are significantly taller than me, um, on average and weighed more or their arm lengths were much longer. And I would just, it would be very disheartening to feel like, uh, competing against, um, against that. And it's very difficult. Um, I think because a lot of data is average driven, if that makes sense, like it's a law of mm-hmm. averages. So if, um, with women, our averages are just generally smaller. Um, it is difficult to think about having an ad, like our average being ratcheted up because it does disadvantage us um, immensely, even outside of sports. Um, I think I told you about this book, Robin. Um, the Invisible Women, and it's about uh, how data analysis is conducted mainly on men. Did it? Yeah. yeah. And it was a fascinating read. And I suggest everyone read it because it it talks about how stuff like medicine and um, community building, like in city structure, um, how community planning is done and like seatbelt studies and all of these things are done with male bodies and male averages. And so women's bodies get left out of this analysis and it's detrimental to our health immensely. Because like seatbelts weren't protecting women nearly as much as they were protecting men. Um, Our medicine wasn't addressing its impact on women because a lot of doctors don't want to do studies on women's bodies because we are wacky in our hormones. And so there's too much stuff to uh, control for. And so they would prefer not to Mm -hmm. do studies on women. So anyway, just like sidebar about data in women's bodies. um, When trans women are coming into the mix, um, not just in sports, but it starts impacting um, women averages. And that's um, 
that can be difficult and detrimental to women's health and their overall societal, you know, experiences, which is very unfortunate for everyone involved. Right. Um, yeah. And, and being someone who is on the small side of average for even a woman, um, I can understand and feel concerned for all of the ways that that's going to impact me even more significantly. Like, I know that in times when I've had to compete in strongman and there haven't been enough lightweight women and middleweight women to have their own classes. And so we have to compete together. Mm-hmm. And usually what they'll do is they'll just have both classes compete together and everyone does the lightweight women's weights. Well, okay, so there's a woman who is on average 20 pounds heavier than me. Most women are taller than me. I'm only five feet tall. Um, but when that generally when you get to the middleweight women, they tend to be even taller on average than the lightweight women. And so I'm at a significant competitive disadvantage. And that brings me to the place where I either have to decide, well, I'm not going to win, so I'm not going to care. I'm not going to do my best or it doesn't matter in the first place, which takes a lot of the fun out of competition. Or we kind of have to get to this place where you're competing with yourself and and that's the standard that you hold yourself to. Um, but in those circumstances, I've often found myself asking, like, is the question of fairness in competition in that direct comparison the right question to be asking? Or do we need to be looking at why we place such a heavy level of importance on things like competitive sports. Ooh, that's and, difficult though. Because right. well, cuz competitive sports and competitive lifting and all this stuff if there wasn't competition it was if it was just us against us like individuals, we wouldn't have come nearly as far in all the cool shit that bodies can do. You know what I mean? Like Oh, totally. <laughs> Like there would there would always be those pioneers who are like, let me just see. Let me see what the hell I can get. There are some women in Strongman who are willing to drive their bodies to um, to the limits of science to see what they can get them to do. And I have mad respect for that. That ain't me. <laughs> but I have I have complete respect for that and and for their autonomy and their, you know, their ability to be able to drive their bodies to do that. But it like having these questions, talking about these big issues, this issue of womanhood and who gets to decide what's a woman makes me wonder why we care so much about what a woman is. Why do we care so much about competition in sports? Why do we care so much about whether or not a child sees a penis? Like, That's kind of where I get to with all of these questions about womanhood. Like, why? Why is that an issue? Ooh, I'm raising my hand. (laughs) Yeah. This is such a difficult topic that I feel like we cis women can't talk about. Um, And I brought it up on my Instagram a couple of months ago about what, like, what defines you as a woman and, you know, how women feel cis women feel about trans women and um starting to occupy the cis women spaces and i was asking for complete honesty um and the 
the responses I got were very varied. Um, everyone, again, very accepting of trans women, but but also having this overwhelming um, experience that cis women problems are getting overlooked and getting put to the side when we have barely got our foot in the door, quote unquote, when it comes to mm-hmm. cis rights um, for people specifically who have uteruses. Um, so if, if we, if, if women are not defined, then how can we go out and fight for women's rights, um, specifically women with uteruses? And that can be such a touchy subject. Um, right. And right. Like we are barely getting in the door with voting or Roe v. Wade or stuff like that. And so it's, when the topic of womanhood comes up, oh, I'm about to say something very controversial. That when the topic of womanhood comes up, are trans women going to help in the fight for our uterine rights? Yeah, that's, and that's a big one. Like if, yeah, so if we're trying to define women, it it can't be, you have to have a uterus because that excludes trans women, but women and people with uteruses, our rights are at stake. So how do we solidify not having our rights taken away also? And again, this is not as someone told me when I was trying to bring this up and I was, I'm sure bringing it up indelicately because I have no tact. Um, they mentioned, it's like, I'm being, a crab in a bucket like why do i have to step on other people in order to try to get myself out of a bucket and i'm like i i'm that's not the goal here i'm not saying trans women shouldn't have rights i'm saying that our rights are we do need to have the like our rights fought for and i'm very concerned that we are not going to have our rights fought for so anyway and when it comes to legislation of what is a woman how, how do you define that? It can't be um, – I heard an awesome story in February uh, from a woman and it was discussing about what it, being a woman was. And it couldn't be, you know, that you have had children. That's not what makes you a woman. That can't be a defining factor. It can't be um, a uterus because this woman in particular was someone who had undergone an, a hysterectomy. So she wasn't speaking mm-hmm. from like a, a trans uh, perspective, but, you know, well, my uterus is gone. So where does my womanhood lie? It's not in my mm-hmm. uterus. It's not in my offspring. It's not in who I love because she was a gay woman. So she was like, it's not loving a, a, a member of the opposite sex. She was like, what makes me a woman? And why do we have to define it in such terms? But we do have to define it in terms because of the legal ramifications of rights so yeah this is where my uh, i make people very frustrated because my brain automatically wants to go to the logical endpoint of things and say listen and, and this i can understand how people got themselves into the problem of colorblind policy very quickly um 
when it came to things like systemic racism and affirmative action and and we, we you know we want a colorblind society like the intention of that i think started from a really good place because we want to pursue a society where the color of a person's skin is the least important characteristic about them in our decision making um and i feel like i'm probably I'm going to have to keep working through this because I think I'm on that slippery slope. I think I am on that slippery logic slope that says maybe this isn't about advocating for women's rights. Maybe this is about advocating for the right to decide what happens in your own uterus if you have one. Maybe this is about, you know, deciding like, you know, the, your who gets to use what bathrooms or what it means to, like, why we need to have you know, gender segregated bathrooms or like think maybe we need to address the questions themselves just from like a base perspective. And I, I'm rambling through this because they're not fully formed thoughts, but my brain automatically wants to take it to a place of if we can't come up with a a unified, acceptable definition of what a woman is, because I was having this argument in in the Slack channel at work, my favorite channel. Um, but every time somebody would come to me with a definition that they thought nailed it as far as like, how do you define a woman? There are always exceptions to that definition, and someone will always be excluded based on your definition. And so... Like, how do we get to a place where someone is not excluded by the definition of a woman? Maybe we have to rethink whether or not we need that as an an important signifier. Insurance companies to make our sure do. Going forward. I know, but maybe, but maybe that becomes people capable of reproducing, right? Maybe that helps share some of the burden of the cost of healthcare. Because women get saddled with higher insurance rates because we are capable of bearing offspring. But we can't do that asexually. Right. Right. So maybe that cost needs to get spread out. And it's not based on whether or not you are a woman. It's based on whether or not you are capable of producing progeny. That's not really fair either. Because what about gay people that are not going to produce offspring? It, their cost of health care should be fucking lower. Well, I again, but... Without, you know. Like, but, well, and, and uh, you know, the, then we get into the question of, like, universal health care and yes. all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> but my point is, my point is, like, maybe it needs to be less about conceptually who we are and more about what we are doing. That, like, we legislate the behavior, not the mindset like yeah but that's I don't such know. a it's very jumbled that no i understand i see where you're going with that i just see that as being a, a very positive outlook for what will never be that positive exactly it is legislatively untenable it is not a thing like it it will inevitably lead to a mess but that is what my super optimistic totally ideological side wants like if we can't come up with a definition that includes all of us then let's pick something else to use to define us that does include all of us you know like i don't know 
I have. Hmm. I I just I have a really really hard time with this question of like what is a woman. Well, really struggle with it. I I do as well, and it's it comes. I start getting defensive in certain areas with certain things because. Ooh, John, get ready to, to possibly cut this. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, side note, we are not doing this live on the YouTubes. <laughs> when I have spoken to trans women about the their experiences, which can be awful, not negating that, um, the topic of periods came up. And... The idea that a trans woman was experiencing a period I was like, but you haven't, you don't know what that's like. And it's not, it's not just bleeding and oh God, this is, I don't know about um, certain surgeries that require the devices to be held inside of your body to keep a vaginal opening like that is awful that sounds terrible um oh but that's oh wow yeah that those are things that some uh trans women endure um but that's not what a period is it is not to me comparable one is um a surgery one is something that happens to you from the time you're nine to ten all the way up through menopause you know, but that again is not every woman's experience. But I felt that my experience as a woman was being taken over because maybe it was how they had worded it. It was that you know that they were like, oh well, yeah, like uh, you know, a period. It's not that big of a deal. Like you know, I've I've experienced it. And I'm like, but you haven't, and it felt very, uh, very invalidating for someone who mm-hmm. I know has not had a period ever and also had not dealt with sexual harassment for decades um, as a woman, like experiencing that in a workplace. That's, it is very different as um, a woman than it is a man. And I will stick by that as well. And like that, it's just like all these small things of my experience as a woman that I felt were being um, not appropriated, but it felt like they were being um, dismissed as like, well, yeah, I know what that's like. I'm like, but Mm -hmm. you haven't, you got to this place in your career without having to overcome sexism. You got to this place and, you know, um, it was just, it was, (laughs) I'm probably all fucking this up, but does any of that make sense? Like, no, it makes perfect sense. And I was just like, yeah, of course, your struggle is very difficult, but it is not comparable to say that you have gotten to these areas of your life. You benefited from being a male for decades. And it felt, yeah, just very awful. But It's hard because, like, I, I mean, we know, we know from sociological research and personal experience like the power of a collective or shared experience and i can like i see in all of these conversations i see this desire from trans women to 
identify with the female experience, with a woman's experience, because that is something that we have together as women. And of course, if you feel like a woman, you want to be a part of that. And I, I look at that and I just see like, again, why do we want to pigeonhole things into two groups of experience, a man's experience and a woman's experience? Because women have different experiences, right? Some women have never had a period in their life. Some women have never given birth. Some women really struggle with hormonal challenges. Some women absolutely don't. Some women have big breasts and some women just don't. Like we we have all of these individual experiences and then we have some shared experiences. But I would argue that the collective experience of womankind or even the American woman is something that we idealize and we like to imagine exists, but it doesn't. I think my rub was the idea that they were trying to be part of the collective when it was impossible for them to have been. Right, exactly. And I think I think the reason the reason that I could see trans women wanting to do that and trying to do that is because we have decided that there right. is a collective woman's experience rather than us being able to say this has been my experience as a woman in a technical field where I've had to overcome sexism. Tell me about your experience as a trans woman in a technical field where you're having to shift the way that people think about you and interact with you on a daily basis. Like that in and of itself is a powerful experience. Mm -hmm. And there are other trans women who share that experience. There are other women who share that experience. We can even take the trans label off of that at that point. Right. Because it is a shared experience that women have. And I like... I just like her problems, I'm sure, are different and in some ways much, much worse than what I have right. experienced. It just felt. Yeah. Interesting. No, you, and it does feel icky when somebody tries to like compare their experience to yours when it's so vastly different, regardless of what that is. It reminded me of people who try to act like they know what racism is like. It, it like right. where I'm just like, I, I might have <laughs> I might have experienced racism once or twice in Japan. Um, that doesn't mean I know what it's like to grow up um, a different race. You know what I mean? Like, that's how. Yeah, that's how it felt. And so I was very much like, I am very uncomfortable with this situation right now. And I also don't have the words to put to it because I can't I can't speak up without making it seem like I'm trying to invalidate her struggles or her whatever. But I'm like, you know. It's interesting you talk about how women all have these different experiences and we're all, I believe, pretty open um, as women to acknowledging the differences in other women's experiences. Um, mm -hmm. For example, my hairstylist uh, this week was like, we were talking about childbirth and she was like, well, you know about like labor and stuff. And um, I was like, actually, I don't <laughs> like I, I didn't go into labor. And she was like, oh, but you know what it's like with like, you know, just the and I'm like, yes, I understand that. So like, you have to come to terms with like what the other person has experienced and be able to find like a medium ground with it. But yeah, it was just a very 
very strange conversation to be a part of. But yeah. And I think I to your point of of women being very open and acknowledging that we all kind of all have these different experiences and doing a good job of relating to each other even when our experiences are different. Part of me wonders how much of that is a pressure that's put on us externally to define ourselves as a group as women, right? Like to, um, and, and I'm not, I'm not going patriarchy hunting here, right? <laughs> but, but like we've got these patriarchal societal structures and these um, religious and ideological structures that are so founded on their being. Um, a dichotomy on there being a binary when it comes to sex or gender, men, women, right? Black, white, good, bad. It makes me wonder if like that pressure is what's keeping us from embracing that expansive definition or express, ex, um, it, embracing the the pockets of shared experience and trying to define what our side of the line in the sand looks like. I think we could do that more easily if we didn't feel like we were being pitted against other people so much. And that's what it seems like, like you said, not patriarchal hunting, but it's, it feels like people get very defensive when they feel like their corner is being trodden upon. And so, right if you don't give people the opportunity to have their differences be known and accepted and their differences celebrated, they're not going to be willing to see others as well. So, yeah. Like I, I think back to all the conversations that I've been in and I'm kind of the dumbstruck and, and um, like gobsmacked responses that I get when people find out that I am just literally not defensive. I'm not defensive of the adjective of woman. Or it's not an adjective, it's a noun. I'm like I'm I'm not <laughs> my brain's broken. <laughs> cut that, John. <laughs> I said a lot of dumb things, but you cut the grammar mistake. <laughs> You're defensive about grammar. <laughs> I'm defensive about, I'm a grammar raptor. <laughs> which is No, like I'm not defensive of that term at all. If you want to call yourself woman, it does not bother me at all. I don't care. It takes nothing from me. What about people who use it facetiously? Have you have you experienced where a man is like, well, I'm just going to like a man who identifies as right. m male. It's right. like, I'm just going to call myself a woman and goes around and acts like they're a woman for a while because they think they're going to benefit from it. Have you experienced that? In our I have not experienced that. That sounds like a particular, particularly heinous brand of human being. <laughs> Um, I have experienced that. So I was curious about like, what would you be defensive in that regard? Um, not not of my status as a woman, right? Like him doing that takes nothing from me. It makes him look like an ass. Mm -hmm. Right? Like he's showing his ass all over the place. But it doesn't take anything from me as a woman. I think it's uh, for me, I, I, it's like the plight of being a woman is... Um, ridiculed and that's where I get upset I don't get upset for me I get upset for women <laughs> and I start getting up on like a right. like a how dare you try to ridicule women and 
And they're like, well, you women just have it so easy. And I'm like, oh, God. You tell me how I how also, easy it is to get a cup from the top shelf, okay? Like, that alone is just... Right. <laughs> but I, I also not am not under any impression that... Um, anything real and meaningful would be taken away from women because of men acting that way. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there's no dude that's going to go out there and it sounds like put on a dress for a few days and act like an asshole. And then somebody be like, Oh, women really do have it that easy. Let's change the laws. Like, like that. I, I just, I question what other than it just pissing me off. I, I question what the uh, what the outcome of that would be. What is the goal there? What is your objective other than to just show the world that you're a dick? But but I tend to be very, very cerebral about this kind of stuff. Like, if you are not causing me or someone else um, direct or tangential actual harm, I can be pissed and I can be offended but I will acknowledge that, like, it is not taking anything from me. Me being offended costs me momentary peace, but it does not take from me in the way that I feel like, um, like the current culture makes it out to. Yeah. Like, it doesn't take anything from me to be offended other than that time that I spend being pissed off and ranting to my poor husband who listens to me yell about all kinds of things. Uh, like so I yeah I'm just I'm not it, it it's like same-sex marriage right it costs my marriage nothing my traditional cisgender male female marriage it costs me nothing for two men or two women or now this is about to be controversial mm-hmm. three consenting adults not controversial to me but go on <laughs> <laughs> like, as long as everyone who is entering into a relationship is a consenting adult of um, reasonably sound mind, right? They, they are not uh, incapable of making big deal decisions for themselves. I really don't care. Look, mortgages are expensive, man. Mortgages are expensive. I would love to have a wife that loves to clean my house and do my dishes. I would like a spouse with responsibilities, please. It's like a friend with benefits, only none of the fun. Well, why not? If like, you're married to them, that's everything's on the table, Robin. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> listen, if somebody's willing to come into this house and be a part of this relationship and carry their weight by taking care of my home, there's a lot of things that are on the table. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not a good housekeeper. I am not a domestic goddess. I'm barely scraping by with teenagers. Like, I am not putting on any airs when it comes to that. But, like, that's that's my thought. It doesn't take anything from my marriage. Right. I think uh, so, people get up in arms about, you know, tax benefits, people scamming the system. It goes back to everyone trying to police other people. Because right. they think and, that and they're feeling zero like zero sum game. Yeah. Exactly mm. what I was saying. Feeling like life is a zero sum game. Episode plug. <laughs> um, and and that if someone else gets an advantage, it takes an advantage from me. Right. When and and that's that's I don't know, that's kinda how I feel about this. Like if a person with a penis gets protection under the law that says 
that they can't be discriminated against because they would like to identify as a woman and live their life bearing out characteristics that we have typically ascribed to the female gender. That takes nothing from me. Going to bathrooms. I don't know if it's just because I've lived in a big city for a while now. They're all like gender neutral bathrooms anyway, because they're mainly like single stalls. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is like the way to go because I just got to pee. So I just got to pee. <laughs> um, and, and I guess, I, and maybe it's weird, but, and I don't know how you're raising Atticus, but like we're very body neutral in my house. Mm -hmm. Bodies are bodies. Every part of your body has a particular function. Right. And so um, like my and and when my husband would be out with our daughters when they were small on his own and somebody needed to go to the bathroom well guess what he had usually because this was like you know 12 years ago and we're in southwest missouri there's two options well he's sure as hell not going to go walking into the women's bathroom right all six foot two 250 pounds of him is not going to go walking in there but he can sling a kid on his hip and walk her into a stall in the men's room. And one time my oldest was like, Dad, why is that guy peeing out of his thumb? <laughs> that poor guy. <laughs> and James was like, that's not his thumb. That's his penis. And that's how boys pee. And the question was done. I think um, my concern there are so at the gym that I go to and actually quite a few of them, they have large locker rooms and there's a giant sign outside of it saying that anyone older than five has to use their gender appropriate restroom. And when I'm around with my kid, I'm like, I'm nervous about sending him in the male restroom just because men, not because of uh, <laughs> right, not because I think that something's going to happen to him because anyone's trans I'm just like men are weird and so like I'm worried about that and so like even to this day I'll be like kind of hovering outside the, the men's restroom like waiting to hear just the right. the weirdest sound because I'm gonna run in there guns a blazing but yeah like that's um that has nothing to do with trans rights that's just that you know I don't trust a lot of men well and that again like to me that goes back to how do we take care of our children like how do we value and protect our children and how can we make decisions based on what is actually beneficial and actually harmful to them, not what makes us as adults uncomfortable? Right. I don't think kids care about seeing genitalia. Right. I, I mean, I, I would actually make the case that the more genitalia they can see in a very neutral context, probably the health, the like, the more robust protection we would have against um, things like sexual abuse of children. Yes. And because when children are able to name and discuss what they see and they understand, like, this is an appropriate way to show somebody your body at your age. This is an inappropriate way to show somebody your body at your age. Right. Like, I, I'm... We're off on a segue, but yeah, I agree with... Uh... <laughs> There's, well, I'm thinking about using um, anatomical names instead of like hoo-ha and wee-wee and like stuff like that. I'm like, I am very much right. like use the terms because then you can't be – because if you know if your kid starts using a weird term that's like not a 
a term that is anatomically correct. You're like, who's been talking to you about this? Why why is this a, a term that right. you've been using? And anyway, goes into grooming a lot and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it it right. has little to do with being a woman and more to do about protecting the kids. <laughs> but but like that's kind of how I feel about a lot of these questions that we're being asked to to weigh in on as a society about womanhood and being a woman. A lot of them don't come down to actually being a functional woman, whatever we decide that definition is. It comes down to how women have had to cope with the other parts of society. And whether or not we want to address that, the like this whole conversation about gender segregated bathrooms and do you want someone with a penis coming into the girl's bathroom the only reason that we're afraid of that is because we know as women that we are very often harmed in that way by people with penises Mm -hmm. right that's why it's a question because it's not it's not women it's not people with vaginas that are for the most part abusing other people with vaginas in that way for the most part yes right that for the like all of this is just general but like that's the core of the fear not whether or not a person with a penis would like to be called a woman and feels more comfortable in a woman's bathroom it's the idea that somebody would use that to then harm girls so when it comes down to <clears throat> deciding certain legislation, do we want to talk about who is deciding the legislation about women and what determines a woman? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. And and I think we should probably go back to to your point about like are is everyone who identifies as a woman pulling together for all of the things of women's rights or are we only pulling for the parts that matter to us? aren't we all only well, like i don't know people at the end of the day are only going to look out for themselves unless they have the capacity to look outside of their own problems so that that's kind of a tough question because i would say that before i struggled with reproductive rights i probably wasn't fighting for reproductive rights mm-hmm. so anyway go ahead did not mean to cut you off. Yeah. That, well, that's that's no, that's just kind of the my thought there because you had brought up like, yeah, are trans women going to be pulling in the same fight as women as people with uteruses when it comes to questions like reproductive rights? Right. Are you pulling with us? And and it like, I, I mean, I'm I'm pulling with you. If there are, if there are any trans women out there listening, like I'm I'm pulling with you. Like I'm there. I'm in that fight with you. Um. But like, I don't know who's who's contributing to these conversations and who's deciding for us. I think um, the argument could be made that how can trans women pull in the fight for us when they are not having their own rights met either? So do they have the capacity to pull for women as a an inclusive whole? I mean, that's a hard question I think anybody has to ask. So, but yeah, um, who's making the rules um, and the laws? They're mainly men. 
So yeah, people with penises that are not trans or anything, they're cis old men for the most part. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I'm not going to bring up the stats, but everyone, that is that is a fact. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I think the only place that that argument gets a reprieve is with um, the Supreme Court and with the addition of Justice Jackson, which puts four women actively on the court, uh, which is currently made up of seven people. So women do have a slight majority on the Supreme Court. But when it comes down to who's making the laws that we feel the impact of every day, that's that's the old white dudes that represent us on a local level, on a state level, (laughs) and for the most part on a national level. And it's, I don't know, I I wonder, I haven't had a lot of discussions with older people recently um, to understand their acceptance of specific issues like trans rights or women's rights and as, as a whole. So I don't know their, I can't like gauge any sort of how that generation is feeling, but to act like an older generation doesn't have different views than a younger generation about rights and how people should be viewed is irresponsible. There is a very huge difference between how boomers interact than, you know, any of the current others. So, yeah. I mean, and again, base package, right? Base package boomers, not like our super cool, like, hippie before their time grandmas right like right. We're, we're just talking about across the board your statistical average people in that age range have a completely different perspective about a lot of this stuff oh, and they're gonna say the and same thing about millennials and how we can't hold jobs and i'm gonna get butthurt <laughs> uh, i get butthurt about a lot of things they say about millennials <laughs> and then i think to myself it's so millennial of me to get butthurt about that. <laughs> Fine, I'll be butthurt, but I'll have a job also. Um, <laughs> right? But yeah, so it... We're so highly individualistic. I think just looking at some of the administration uh, laws and uh, attempts at regulations that have gone on, it is irresponsible to think that um, the older generation has the younger generation's views in mind. Yeah. And I think it's also irresponsible to um, even begin to imagine that largely male representatives from a different generation can accurately represent and advocate for the positions that a younger female generation would want them to understand and advocate for. We can agree that it is women, we want to be inclusive of everyone. Um, It doesn't take away from us at all. Uh, But we still worry about our rights as uterus holding people. So, yeah, it's in short, it's complicated. Uh, I hope nobody came to this episode thinking we were going to solve this. No, but you had great uh, points. If, you'd, if you did, you were sorely disappointed because all we did was just tell you all the reasons it's complicated. 
<laughs> but you put it in a good perspective about how to view things. So I appreciate that, Robin. And so did you. Oh, thanks. I think you come way more prepared, though. You're like, you, you, where's your, your post or your um, index card? I my index card was on the computer tonight because I didn't have any index cards with me. Well, it's my index card is literally just the the notes the that you outline that I made for that us. I looked at about our four bullet points. four minutes before we started recording. Yeah, our three <laughs> that I wrote ten minutes before we started recording. Anyway, Robin is very educated uh, on most things, so it's because Robin has ADHD and her brain never turns off. So. Um, I, I told John and Savannah one time, like any conversation that I've had once, I've had four times because these things just like mull around in my brain all the time. So, really so since we decided we were talking about this, it's like my brain has just been, it's, just, it's what it does. That's what my brain does. Yeah. Well, you come prepared and I appreciate it. And I will just write off <laughs> of that wave of preparedness. Preparedness? Preparedness. But you bring the spontaneity, and that is what we need. <laughs> we, we literally, we need that. Okay. All right. Well, so uh, did we want to cover I think we should. the good news? Uh, oh. One of our listeners, um, Erica, uh, sent us this good news based off of Twitter that there are zero incarcerated girls in Hawaii. So for the first time in the history of the Hawaii Youth Correctional Facility, it's empty of girls. They have been working to empty them um, after years of work uh, to replace handcuffs with healing. That is what the... That's freaking phenomenal. I love that. Right, which is very appropriate for this episode. (laughs) It is. So thank you, Erica, Uh, for that knowledge. Yes, we're so excited. Thank you for sharing that with us. And also thank you for the super awesome uh, podcast hashtag plug that you gave us when you shared that with uh, the people who follow you on Twitter. (laughs) We really appreciate that. Um, You know what else we appreciate? If you're listening out there, take a trip over to firesidebreakdowns.com. That is where you can find every episode and our show notes for our uh, scripted and researched episodes. You will not find show notes for this Fireside Unscripted episode. One, because we do not want there to be any evidence. And number two, uh, because it is unscripted. (laughs) But you can also find links to our social media accounts that we sometimes post on and a link to our Patreon, which we post on a little more often than that, um, where if you enjoy the work that we're doing, you can lend us your support by a cup of coffee so to speak um and you can also find a link to leave us a review which would help us more than anything else that you could possibly ever do um that helps the podcasting platforms decide that we're worth listening to um so we would appreciate that greatly this episode is the last episode that you will hear for us for about two weeks as we take our season end break for the summer We'll be back with you in a couple weeks with season three. That's crazy. Episode one. Uh, we don't know what it'll be yet, but we do know that you have all different kinds of cool new episode formats to look forward to next season. We're really shaking things up so that we can bring you as valuable content as we possibly can. So if you have thoughts and feelings about what you might like to hear from us, this would be a great time to shoot us a note from firesidebreakdowns.com. There's a handy little contact form and we read them all all of them thank y'all for your support and we hope you guys have a great couple of weeks yeah until we talk to you guys again take care of each other